Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. I'm thankful that God has brought us here for another beautiful day, another celebration of Him, as I said earlier. You know, it's another new day, and it's a day we could just choose to live, or we could choose to celebrate Jesus Christ and what He's done for us, and what He does for us every day, what He's done for us in the past by His death on the cross, and I just praise be to God for everything and, and all His love and everything. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church, everybody in my home in McKinney, Texas. And welcome to Gospel Saving Church, everybody coming from SoundCloud all over the world. God bless you and welcome. And uh, praise God, I'm, I'm glad you're here and you tuned into us today. And If you guys want to join me in a word of a quick prayer, and uh, I'd like to ask the Lord to help us understand what He has to say to us today, and then I'll, I'll get teaching. So Lord, we just... Uh, we thank you, Lord. We, uh, I consider you our guest of honor, Lord, because I know your word says wherever two or three or more are gathered in your name, there you will be. And Lord, that's the only reason why we have come together this morning, Lord God, is because you loved us. Lord, not that we loved you first, but that you loved us and gave yourself for us on the cross. So Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for all that you've done for us and all that you do for us every day and all that you're going to do for us all until we're in your arms in all eternity. Lord, we thank you so much and we ask you to bless this message today, Lord. Bless our ears, Lord. Bless our hearts, Lord. Let us hear these words that you have to say in your word today and let us not just hear them and do nothing with them, but Lord, let us hear them and do something. Let let your words, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, activate us, Lord, to do things for your kingdom. To come to you, Lord, those that are listening that aren't yours today that are listening to this message, Lord. Maybe they don't even know it. We just ask these things and pray all these things, Lord, in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So you guys can turn in your Bibles, if you want, to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 4 through 9 today. That's going to be where we're at. I'll read them over, but usually I do a thoughts from last week's message and that is today, uh, the last week's message was called The Spiritual Child of God. So I'll read those over, but first my thoughts from last week's message. I start out by just saying one word, hope. Last week we talked about both being and becoming a spiritual child of God, along with the few benefits that come with this amazing privilege. We get to be resurrected in the first resurrection. And whether we're dead or or alive, the the dead will rise first, and then all those that are alive will rise next, but we'll be in the first resurrection. And so we'll get to be with the Lord. We'll always be with the Lord, number one. Number two, we get to be called children of the Most High God and we'll be kings and priests to God forever. But one of those amazing privileges that I didn't mention last week, but that the Lord put on my heart to just touch on briefly today, is hope. That's why I started out that way. Hope. One of the biggest perks of both becoming and being a spiritual child of God is hope with a capital H. Truly hope. Hope in your new life now or hope in your life now, I should say, as you're in a new life with Christ, of course, in a loving creator that takes care of you, helps you through every terrible situation, is always there for you to come to and have a conversation with and just talk about things with. And 
wanting to help you with any problem or any deal, anything you got going on in your life just in general. And that's for today and until we die. And then eternally, hope of a better and more amazing of, of, of better and more amazing things to come after we die than what's on earth now. Because really, what's on earth now, disease, heartache, bills, taxes, problems, worries, struggles, just to name a few. Hope in an eternity of no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. A spiritual child of God has hope that once we die, our story's not over, it's just the beginning. The hope that once we slip from this life onto the next will rest in the loving arms of Jesus Christ. Slip out of one, right into the arms of Jesus in the next, in peace forever. And since this hope is an amazing, loving, and faithful God, this hope is more than just hope. It's a guaranteed for sure. And praise God, this guarantee is so comforting. The alternative is what most people in the world have today. And that's hope in this world only. And their hope is misplaced, you see, because they rely on and live for the hopes and dreams that this life has to offer. And although these hopes and dreams are nice, you know, that we could gain wealth or, you know, gain prosperity or or gain popularity or whatever we may gain, nice houses, those, those hopes are nice, but really... They're not really hopes at all, because there's a big, huge downside to them, you see. The hope that's found in this world is only temporary. See, the hope, all the things you could gain or uh, acquire or have in this life are only for the 20 or 30 or 40 or 90 years or 100 years that you may live here, however few and short those may years may be. But they're not eternal, and they don't last forever. And once a person dies, these hopes and dreams they had in this life can't be taken with them. So really, they're not hopes at all because they fail you. They don't last forever. And they certainly don't make people happy. As is the case when all these celebrities and all these superstars and these great football players commit suicide. Well, you don't commit suicide if you're happy. So the hopes in this life don't make you happy and they let you down. But again, as a spiritual child of God, you have a guaranteed hope from the loving creator of all the universe. And this hope does not fail. And it's hope that you have in this life now and in the life to come. It's a hope that you can take with you and you do take with you. Praise God. His hope does not disappoint. I just love talking about that. All right, well, praise God. Let's switch gears and get into our new service for today. Our new message today is, He who sins is of the devil. He who sins 
is of the devil. It's right out of our Bibles, in case you're wondering, think, well, I'm pretty offended at that title. If you're even listening to this message online and you saw the title, uh, I, I don't want you to be scared away by it. It, it. It's a little bit confusing, but we're going to talk about it here in a little bit. But he who sins of the devil, 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 9, I'm going to read them over, and you'll see here, it's actually right in our text. I didn't come up with it. John says it here in, the God, in, his, uh, first, in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 4. Let's read it. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, verse 8. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. So today, in case you don't remember, if you might have picked up on it already, John goes back to a subject matter that's more in line with what he was saying before those last three verses. Those last three verses, we kind of had a reprieve, and he talked to us about being a spiritual child of God and the benefits of you know being that son or that child of God. Well, today, John helps us to further understand, he kind of goes back to that to chapter 2, the end there. Today, John helps us further understand what a spiritual child of God looks like, and what a person who is of the devil looks like. He says it in some kind of confusing ways, uh, and actual, the, the, the title there, he who sins of the devil, can be misunderstood, as this is a, a very difficult section of scripture to look over and, and study over. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit, but don't be, don't be afraid. It's not as it seems. Let's, uh, let's start out in verses 4 and 5, looking here at what John says first at some biblically broad facts that that span throughout all the New Testament that John just kind of reiterates here. Verse 4, he says here, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. He makes those very two profound statements there. John tells us there that sin is also defined biblically as lawlessness. Why would that be? Why is sin considered lawlessness. Well, sin is the breaking of God's laws. Hence, if you sin, you're lawless. You're committing lawlessness. You're breaking God's laws. That's what. That's just the simple definition of sin. He says there, whoever commits sin is doing lawlessness. And who commits sin? Who, then I would ask you, think in your mind, who commits sin? Who commits sin? lawlessness. Well, I can answer for you. I don't want you to shout it out, as obviously I'm speaking here and we're recording. Well, only everybody, right? Paul in Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. In verses, and, and then uh, chapter 3, that same uh, chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So who sins? Everybody commits sins, which defines everybody in this world as a sinner. We're all sinners. Right? That's what the Bible says. Everyone sinned. Everyone is a sinner. And it also means we're a breaker of God's laws. 
even the spiritual child of God. Because, yes, we still do sin for everybody sins. Unfortunately, sin is kind of our default human nature. It's kind of the one we're born with, original sin and all that good stuff, or all that bad stuff, I should say. We'll look at the next couple broad biblical fact statements that John makes, verse 5. And you know, he says, that he, Jesus Christ, was manifested, which means made known, to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So two other firm, established biblical facts. God sent Jesus Christ to be the propitiation or payment for the sins of all mankind. To take away our sins, as John put it here. God sent Jesus to be the one to die on the cross, to take the sins of mankind on ourselves. It's all good news, praise be to God. And that in him, as he puts there, the very last thing, in him there is no sin. That means two different things. I'll get to that in a second. I jumped ahead of myself. The Gospel of John, John the Baptist, says the same thing. Chapter 1, verse 29, the Gospel of John. John says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And, of course, we know that Jesus Christ was not a sinner. He was God in the flesh and never committed any sin ever. And, therefore, that in him, in his flesh, in his being, whether in him or in talking two different things there. In him there is no sin. Paul, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, God, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then that same verse, John said, and in him there is no sin. That's both true on two different levels. In Christ himself, there was no sin. He didn't sin. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if anybody is in him, there is no sin on them. We'll touch on that as we keep going. And that's a lot of good news because if Christ had not come to become sin for mankind and take our sins away, then our sins would remain on us and no one would have any hope of eternal life. And really, like my overview, we'd have no hope in eternal life. And if he didn't come and save us, We'd have no hope for today either. Next, what John says in verses 6 through 9 can really be confusing and difficult to understand. In fact, some of the most difficult verses to understand in all the Bible are right here in these very few verses that we have to study right now. The very title, He who sins is of the devil, is a Something John says here. Yet, as I've already said, who sins? Well, everybody sins, right? I'm going to go back through these verses, and I'm going to read you, basically I'm going to read you these verses with a basic understanding of, without some biblical depth to it, and we're going to look at why these verses are really considered so complicated. Uh, The Bible can be very complicated, yet so simple. So I want to help us try to figure this out. Uh, And as I said, I'm going to go over these next verses, these next three or four verses, and I'm going to talk about the way they seem, that John seems to be writing it, just on the surface. Um, This way they're really confusing. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to explain them with the tools that God's given us to help us understand what they're really saying. Look at what John says here in his verse 6, his very first verse. And I want to say it just kind of how we were just talking about, okay? 
And I don't want you to, again, I just want to reiterate, the very first time I'm going to go through this is not the biblical true understanding of these verses. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to help us understand what John is really saying. <clears throat> Excuse me. So verse 6, John's saying, and I'm going to run through these kind of quickly, just as in a kind of an overview as what they say. And I, I don't want you to grab your seat too much because they can, it, we can, it can seem to have, there be no hope, even though we said there's hope in Christ. So here we go. Verse 6. John says this, whoever abides in him does not sin. Huh? What? Whoever abides in him does not sin. Huh? The Bible we just talked about, it says that everyone commits sin. Everyone commits lawlessness. So therefore, no one then must abide in him, right? Because everybody sins. He goes on to say, whoever sins has neither no has either excuse me, whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now ouch. Did you hear what John just said? Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. That means plainly, if you would just take this verse just the way it's written here in the NKJVs, what I use, plainly, since everybody sins. Nobody knows God. Nobody has known God. Ouch. He goes on, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And this righteousness would be the same righteousness that John spoke of earlier in this epistle, uh, chapter 2, verse 6, where he says, He who abides in him ought to himself also walk just as Jesus walked. And since nobody that I know walks exactly in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, that means that they don't exactly, me neither, live exactly as he did moment by moment in their lives, where he never sinned and he always about, was about God's business, then no one practices righteousness either. And isn't that what we just read in Romans 3.10? There is none righteous, no, not one. So that means that no one practices righteousness. And so therefore, none here, John says here, little children, let no one one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Well, there's nobody then, because nobody lives the way he did. So that means there's none that are righteous, just like Paul said in Romans Romans 3.10. So, so far, according to the plain reading of the scripture, there is no good news for people here. Everyone sins, so no one abides in him, and no one lives their lives exactly like he did, so no one practices righteousness as he did, and no one is righteous, therefore. And even as bad as the news as I just gave you was, it gets gets worse. Look at what John says in verse 8. He says this, as the title, he who sins is of the devil. Whoa, whoa, what? For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Well, as I just already said, everybody sins. So is everybody of the devil? Well, yeah, that's what John seems to be saying here in a plain reading of this scripture. He who sins is of the devil. And the devil's been from the beginning. Bible tells us whoever is of the devil is not of God. And if we're not of God, 
and we're of the devil, where do you think we're all going? Well, the Bible says we're all going to hell then. That's what John seems to be saying, according to the plain reading of this text. Since everybody sins, everybody's of the devil, everybody's going to die and go to hell when they die, you know, forever. Rest of verse 8, for this purpose the Son of God is manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Plain reading again here, Jesus Christ was sent to destroy the works of the devil. That means that in order to really be saved and go to heaven, someone needs to live their lives just as he did, and never, ever, 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 ever sin again. That's what the plain reading says. And lastly, going from bad to worse, verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And going back, I hate to keep repeating myself, but same thing in every verse here. Since everyone sins, no one must be born of God. Because I sin, you sin, she sins, he sins, those, those guys sin. So therefore, no one is born of God because everybody sins. And what does that mean as far as eternity goes? Jesus says in John chapter 3, 3, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That means that nobody's going to be saved from their sins, and nobody's going to be going to heaven when they die either. Ouch. Now that was the plain reading, the absolute bare bones. If somebody read this, they could read it over and go, There's nobody saved. There's nobody saved. Everybody sins. Oh my gosh. What, what, I don't understand. I thought Jesus came to take away the sins of the world, but John's saying here that everybody sins, and so everybody's of the devil. Well, <clears throat> that's what the NKJV said, and that's what most of the English versions of this section say. That's why I told you earlier, this is probably one of the hardest sections of scripture in the Bible to understand because if we just take it just as John said, I mean, end line, end, end, end line there, everybody sins. Therefore, John said, if you sin, you're of the devil. So therefore, I'm of the devil, you're of the devil, everybody in the world's of the devil because we all sin. I sinned. I sinned today. I sinned yesterday. I don't try to sin. By golly, that human nature gets me and I, and I blow it and I sin, right? This text, word for word, is a big ouch for all humanity because we all sin daily. John just said that we're all from the devil, which means that nobody's saved. Now, normally, I'm huge on taking the Holy Bible, holy word for holy word, and I still am. But in this case, for this text, the way that the people who translated the Bible, you know, in this section from, from the scripture from Greek to English, using our modern English words, well, they really failed. They failed big time. And unfortunately, the Bible is, I believe, God's infallible word. But unfortunately, since the Bible, uh, you know, has gone from Hebrew to English and the Old Testament and, and, and Chaldean to English in the Old Testament and Koine Greek in the New Testament to English in the New Testament and to, and to thousands and hundreds and thousands of other languages. Unfortunately, sometimes there's things miss from our translations. Does, the, does it make all English translations of the devil? Well, no, absolutely not. And I understood this text because I understand the whole Bible without having any other aids to it, but it it, it can be confusing. So if this passage has always confused you, I'm going to re- 
I'm going to go back through this same passage of Scripture, but I'm going to read it the way it was meant to be read, without all of our English rules, and I'm going to interpret it by what John really was saying. And I just want to repeat the fact that what I just said, how I just read you that verses, those verses 6 through 9, that is not the way that God, or John nor God, wanted me to interpret it. That's not the, really the way that he wanted John to interpret the, the way it should have been written in the English. But that's what they did. So unfortunately, um, we're going to go about and we're going to read it, and we're going to read it with a different translation this time. We're going to read it with a, a translation called the Young's Literal translation. Now, maybe many of you don't know what that translation is, but it, it's it young uh, Robert, I believe it was Robert Young, uh, years ago, way, 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 way years ago, I'm talking like 16, 1700s, he, what he decided to do is he decided to take the, the, the scriptures, the, old, the, the original scriptures, Greek and Hebrew and all this other stuff, and he decided to put a, make a word-for-word translation of the Bible, a word-for-word, meaning like all of the rules that we have in our English, there is no rules. If, if in the Greek it said, I'm just going to give an example, the dog was the street or something, and, it, and, and in our English we'd interpret it, the dog ran across the street, he was going to write, you know, he, he would just write it exactly the way it was written, word for Greek word, not putting any of our English rules into the actual text translation. So here in Young's Literal, we really get the true understanding of 1 John chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, without our English rules of our nowadays. It didn't have, they didn't have those in Greek. Greek had different rules. And so just unfortunately, the English translators just did a bad job in you know, helping people understand what John was really saying here. So I'm going to read the Young's Literal with the understanding of 1 John chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. And I think you're going to find here that it's a little bit, you know, wow, there is hope. Oh, gosh, there is hope, okay? So Young's literal, 1 John 3, 6 through 9. Young says this. He word for words, the Greek to English, this way. Everyone who is remaining in him doth not sin. Now, notice there is no word abide. Notice it's remaining in him. That phrase remaining in him is a what they call a present active tense verb. Remaining in him. It's, it's something that we have to do as Christians. It's called abiding, and then that's kind of like a newer word. But remaining in him is something like, uh, for instance, right now, we're remaining in my house in McKinney, Texas. That means we're staying in. We're remaining in the house. And John is not saying here that the spiritual child of God or the person that's saved never sins again if he's abiding in Jesus. He's saying that if a Christian is remaining in Christ, the present active tense, I'm presently actively remaining, which means that we're remaining in our faith in Jesus Christ, we're remaining in a surrendered life unto Jesus Christ, and we're remaining in abstaining from an active sinful way of life, which is things that God told us to do in his word, then God sees this person as 
they did not sin. God sees this person that's abiding in or actively remaining in Jesus Christ as sinless. John puts it that puts it a little bit different way, but he kind of says the same thing in his this epistle in 1 John 1, 7. He says this, <clears throat> but if we walk in the light, so it means in God's truths, in Christ, uh, as he is in the light, remaining in our faith, remaining surrendered unto Jesus Christ, remaining in the way he wants us to live. We can't just live any way we want and say we know Jesus. Paul says, let those who call in the name of Jesus Christ abstain, basically, from sin. Then John says here, 1-7, we have fellowship with one another and, listen to this, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if obviously the blood of Christ covers us from all sin, then God sees us as sinless. Praise be to God. Um, Notice here that the blood of Christ only cleanses a person from all their sins if we are walking, again, this present active thing in the light, which is faith, surrender, and abstinence from sin, course, that's what God wants. And his blood will continue to cover someone as they continue to remain in him as they live towards their death. And God will continue to see them as pure and sin free. Again, not that we still aren't defined as we already read in this chapter here as sinners on planet earth by definition as first we've all sinned and we will never sin again ever. But if we are continually abiding in or remaining in Christ, God, through the blood of Christ, almost like a, almost like a, like a veil, like a, sh- like a veil, like a, like a shade, like a sunshade you'd put on your window, how the sun has to come through the shade. God, through the blood of Christ, sees us as sinless. Look at the rest of verse 6. Everyone who is sinning, that's important, this is Young's now, everyone who is sinning, hath not seen him, nor known him. Here, notice the present active verb for sin. Did you see what it was? It wasn't just that everybody sins. He said, everyone that's sinning. The NKJV and other English versions say, for whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him, but everyone sins. So that's a terrible translation. In the Youngs, we have everyone who is sinning, hasn't known God. That tells us that everyone who is making a practice of sin, a sin as a way of life, has not known or does not know God. There's a huge, huge difference. For I sin, but I don't make a practice of sinning. Did you see the difference there? You see how Young's put it versus the English translation there? It can be very confusing. And remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.15 uh, as how a real Christian is supposed to conduct themselves. He says, but, he, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. I've even taught before that once someone is born again and saved, sin will decrease in their lives as the way that they live. For once God saves a person, he comes inside them and he starts cleaning house, if you want to say on the ways you live and how you talk and the things you watch and everything, things you listen to. And since God hates sin, 
If you're a real Christian and you've been born again and you're still abiding, you're still remaining in Him, then the sanctification of God should be wiping out all that sin from your life. So that, but although, although you may still sin at some times, as I admitted that I do, and everybody, one of you would have to admit, yes, I've still sinned since I've been a Christian, I don't make a practice of sinning. It's not the way now that I want to live. I want to live flawless and holy before God, and therefore I move, and that's how I try to live every day. Uh, now, see, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because everyone, including the spiritual, spiritual child of God, will always sin for it's our nature. But the difference between a person that's being saved and one that is not is that their new focus on their lives will be spent on denying themselves, abstaining from a practice of living in a sinful way, and, and you know, trusting in Christ. Um, isn't figuring God's word out really awesome? I mean, we could have read that over and you could have really lost heart, but now we're figuring it out. Let's keep going. Let's look at verse 7. John says this, Little children, let no one lead you astray. He who is doing the righteousness, notice here, doing the righteousness, it's kind of like practice, is righteous even as he is righteous. So biblically, just as John said in verse 5, remember he said in verse 5, that in him there was no sin, right? The saved, or person who's remaining in Christ, or abiding in Him and in His ways, having total faith in Christ, surrendering to Him daily in all their ways, abstaining from the sinful ways of life, denying themselves, is striving to live the righteous life that Jesus Christ did. And this person is righteous because Jesus Christ was righteous, and his blood covers them from all of their sins, that one that's being saved, 1 John 1, 7. So let's keep going, verse 8. He who is doing the sin, now here, verse 8, now our English translation said, he who sins is of the devil. That's where the title came from. <gasps> Grabbing my heart, oh, he sins. I'm no, that, verse 8, Young's literal. He who is doing the sin is of the devil, because from the beginning the devil doth sin. For this was the Son of God manifested, that we may break up the works of the devil. So using what we've learned already with the present active verb of sin, the NKJV and other English translations say, he who sins is of the devil. But here we read the correct way to read this passage. He who is doing the sin. It's an active verb. So this would be the person that is living in a persistent Active, continuous lifestyle of sin is of the devil. And I see that. That's what we read in the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord. And at the very end of that section, he says, Be gone from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. You who practice iniquity. You who practice sin. So he who is living in a persistent, active, continuous lifestyle of sin is of the devil, because this is the type of existence the devil led since he fell away from God. And since John says here that that's why Christ came, to break up the works of the devil, that God does not save someone and still allow them to live in the same lifestyle of sin that they did before they were saved. A saved person is a changed person, away from the persistent, active, continuous lifestyle of sin. If the remaining in Jesus Christ as verse 6 says, denying self daily, picking up cross, 
following Jesus Christ, trusting in Him, surrendering Him. They were supernaturally not live a lifestyle of sin as the person who is of the devil does. Last verse, verse 9. Young says, Everyone who hath been begotten of God, sin he doth not, because his seed in him doth remain, and he is not able to sin because of God, he hath been begotten. So I'm going to translate it. So again, we know that everybody sins. John is not saying that if a person is begotten of God, they don't ever sin again, because we know that that's impossible. But just as John said in verse 6, whoever remains in or abides in him continuously doesn't sin. And that doesn't mean that we don't sin at all. It means that if we're remaining in Christ, God sees us as sinless. And he sees this person without sin because, well, God saved him. His supernatural seed is in this person. It remains in them. And in God's eyes, he continually sees us without sin because we have been born of him and we've put our faith in Christ. Now, it's not just the fact that we've been born again that saves us forever. John clarifies this in a few chapters from now, a couple chapters from now. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4 or chapter 5 verse 4 he says this for whatever has been born of God overcomes the world and you can say oh there we go Ed. I've been born again I'm going to overcome the world guaranteed cuz that's what he's saying here I've been born of God I'm guaranteed to overcome the world I can never fall but we have to read the rest of the verse for whatever has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith So you see, God sees us as sinless when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's where it starts, that's where it must stay, and that's where it must end. When we put our faith and our total trust and surrender unto Jesus Christ, then we turn, as we turn to Christ, God makes us born again. We become this spiritual child of God that gets all these awesome benefits that we talked about last week, and and even this awesome hope that we can have that I just talked about today. And when doing so, this in this faith, as we're trusting in Him for our righteousness and not in, not in ourselves anymore, then God purifies us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then God sees us as sinless. That although we may still sin here and there, or sometimes struggle with some sin and against some sin, God sees us as sinless as long as we don't ever go back to not abiding in Him and not trusting in Him, and not continuing to put our faith in Him, then we move outside of remaining in Him, and then therefore God won't see us as sinless anymore. I just love figuring out what God is saying in His Word, don't you? This section of Scripture was very intimidating. I had a brother in the Lord question me about this a month or two back, and he he asked me the same thing, Brother Ed, you sin, right? You're of the devil. I said, well, yeah, I've sinned. So have you, so we're of the devil. And we, we got into a little conversation. We, he challenged me on it, and I had to, you know, God showed it to me, and I, I needed to, you know, tell him and show him from the Bible, and I did, and he, he was pretty blown away. So, you know, it's, it's a hard section. But bottom line, everyone who remains in Christ keep continuing to put their faith in him, 
continuing to follow him. God sees you as sinless and you are not of the devil if you've been born again, if your faith and trust are in Jesus Christ. The Bible, so complicated that it can be it sometimes, yet it can be so simple if you seek. Jesus said, seek and you shall find and ask and you shall receive and knock and the door shall be open to you. So I asked and sook and the Lord showed me. So although very cool figuring out what God's word says, in light of the information that we covered today, I must ask, as I do almost all of my sermons, what category do you think you fit in to what we talked about today? Do you practice or make a practice of a sinful way of life? If you do, as we read John say today, in the Young's Literal, of course, if you're doing the sin, then you're of the devil. Galatians 5, 19-22, Paul writes, Works of the flesh are evidence, which are adultery. So I want to make it clear. Are you practicing any of these? And if so, Bible says, John said today, you're in trouble. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. And we know that that's being married and having uh, relations outside of marriage and practicing that. Fornication, that's not being married and that's just going out and having relations, sexual relations with people that you're not married to and you're just having a relationship with. If you're practicing this stuff, you're in trouble, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry. Living for the things of this world, holding the things of this world higher than God. Sorcery, hatred, practicing hatred, you're in trouble. Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders. And don't think, well, I'm not a murderer, I've never murdered anybody. Jesus said, even if you hate your brother for no reason, that's just as good as murder, so you're guilty there. Drunkenness, if you're drinking all the time and getting drunk all the time. Revelries and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things, there's that word practice again, doing the sin, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Or, do you practice a lifestyle striving against sin? Striving to be in repentance every day. Striving to have, live a lifestyle like the one that Jesus Christ lives. Remember 1 John 2.6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. And are you abiding and remaining in him by faith, by trust every day, and by Surrender. Remember, striving against the sinful lusts of the flesh that are so easy to do. Remember, they're our default. I close this message to you with the words of Christ as far as what type of lifestyle you live and whose words and whose you know teachings you really follow in regards to sin and Christ. It's a parable found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Listen to what Jesus says. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, and he just got done teaching the whole Sermon on the Mount, talking about, you know, doing this and love your neighbor and all this other stuff. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, notice it's not just the person that hears them, it's the person that listens to what he says and does what he says. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Now that rock would be Jesus Christ. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was it fall. Notice that each house was faced by the same rain, by the same storms, by the same problems that came. Yet the one house who built this house on Christ, on the rock, because he was following the teachings of Jesus, this would be a person whose life would be surrendered unto Christ, trusting in him fully, abiding in him, and abiding in his words, on that person whom those storms came, and those rains came, and those floods came, that person stood on the rock. And nothing happened to him. But the person that didn't, and didn't do what Jesus said, and basically you could say didn't abide in him, and didn't trust in him, and didn't build the house on the rock, well, great was this one's fall. So today, are you remaining, enduring on the rock of Christ, daily trusting and abiding in him, abstaining from the practice of a sinful life, Or are you not and live in the practice of the sins of your flesh? Obviously, the person who remains in Christ, on him is the rock, focusing on abstinence from sin and faith and obedience toward Christ and his teachings until the end of their lives, will inherit eternal life. While the person who doesn't stay on the rock of Christ, remaining in Christ, practicing a sinful way of life, not following or doing the teachings of Jesus Christ, will not inherit eternal life or will not inherit eternal life. And really, every person must make a decision whether we are going to really follow Christ and obey His teachings, or are we not? We must really decide, am I going to, if I'm not, am I going to surrender to Him, or am I going to stay surrendered to Him on an everyday basis? Which person are you? The one who hears His sayings and does them, or the one who hears His sayings and has heard them in the past? and doesn't do them. If you're not, or if you've walked away from from Him, and you've walked away from listening to His teachings, and you're not abiding in Him, and you're not trusting in Him, and you know what, sin, it doesn't matter, because you know God loves me anyway. You just heard John say today, if you're doing the sin, meaning you're practicing the sinful way of life. No matter whether you have, you say you or you think you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not, John just said that you're of the devil. And Jesus just said, if you're not building your house on him, then your house is going to get washed away. It's going to get broke down. It's going to be destroyed. And that's not eternal life, guys. Eternal life is paradise. It's, it's no more tears. It's life everlasting. It's joy. It's a new house. Jesus said, I, I leave and I go to prepare a place for you. He's going to replace, prepare a place, a new house for us. Now, better than the one we got now. That's not destruction. So I compel you, if you're listening, please consider what the Bible said today. And consider your life. And if you do not see yourself abiding in Him and remaining in Him, remaining in Him and continuing in Him, and that means your life's changed and sin, you want to stay away from it, and you just want to serve God and follow Jesus, then you need to turn and you need to repent. 
and you need to get on your knees and fall on your face and tell God you're sorry because you've been wrong and the Bible says you're wrong, not me. And you need to turn back to Christ or turn to Christ for the first time. So please, if this is you, Jesus loves you so much and you're only listening to this message because he wanted you to. Because he wants to either bring you to him for the first time or he wants you or he wants to bring you back to him if this lifestyle fits you. And he died for you and he gave up his life on the cross for you. And he wants to save you. So if this is you, turn again or turn for the first time. Please, right now, surrender and give him your everything and follow him. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after Jesus. If you are continuing to remain and abide in Christ Jesus, then praise God. Jesus said it's only those that endure to the end that should be saved. So endure in remaining in Him. Endure in abiding in Him. And ye shall be saved. Remain, continue to remain in Him. And God will continue to see you as sinless. That is such good news. I can't even describe to you how good of news that is. Having your sins washed away, it's a huge burden off your shoulders. You have peace like you've never had before. And if we remain this way, which I do daily, I love having my sins washed away. And I love the fact that I walk in the light as He's in the light. And my sins are cleansed from me and I'm forgiven. It's such a good feeling. And the hope that I have in Him is such a good feeling. So praise God. Keep going. He loves everyone so much. And He's totally worth denying self, picking up cross, and following after. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the understanding of this world. word. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you love humanity. Even as I spoke on last week, Lord, you, you love us in spite of how evil we are. That is amazing, Lord. You love us in spite of all the bad things we do. But Lord, as I've said before many times, just because you love the world doesn't mean that everybody's saved. For God so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. But just because you love everybody doesn't make everybody saved and on their way to heaven. Lord, I just pray for any listening today, Lord, that they would decide if they realize that the, he who is sinning, that person that's listening today, Lord, if they're that way, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would turn them to you and help them to realize that they're not headed for heaven at the moment that they're living that type of lifestyle. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd bring them to repentance and bring them to surrender their lives unto Jesus Christ. And may they choose to start hearing your words and listening and doing them, Lord God, not just hearing them and doing nothing. I love you, and I praise you, Lord God, and I thank you. And I ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here, and thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because... Your life will soon be passed, and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. 
Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.